You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. All right, all right. That's my, oh, my little homage to, uh, see, see, I can't help. It's my inner Matthew McConaughey that comes out with my all right, all right. Oh, if only, if only. If any of you know Matthew McConaughey, um, would you just let him know I want to be his friend? If by chance you're joining us, Matthew McConaughey, I want to be your friend. Pretty sure he's not joining us, though, John. Well, probably not having him. Hey, you do. You never know. <clears throat> All right, church. So uh, if you have your um, Bibles, uh, that would be good. Uh, remember, um, you know, continue to think through the questions. Where have you seen uh, the reign of Christ at work uh, in your life during this uh, strange time, this, this pandemic? And uh, where do you need to see the reign of Christ at work uh, during this strange time, this, this pandemic? So let's think it through for a minute. So Sunday, Jesus triumphantly enters the city riding on the donkey of peace uh, on a Palm Sunday. And then Monday comes, he enters the temple, he flips the tables of injustice that were brought in by religious power and greed. Tuesday, Jesus goes back to the temple, is challenged by the religious leaders in a debate over the meaning of Scripture, and Jesus wins the debate. On Wednesday, Jesus is anointed by Mary in Bethany. And on Thursday, Jesus washes his disciples' feet, shares with them a last supper, is betrayed by a friend and arrested. Friday, Jesus experiences more beating, and he is crucified. Saturday, Jesus' body lay in a tomb, buried and dead. His disciples lament and feel the weight of contradiction in the world. And then the first day of the week, we call Sunday, comes and Jesus is risen, and that's Easter Sunday. And we believe that everything is different because of Easter. We believe, as Christians, as Christ followers, that a different kind of life is available now to us because Easter has happened, because God's reign is at work in the world in a particular way. We see that in Easter, God didn't abandon the world. Hopelessness doesn't have the final word. He's actively reigning in the world. And that becomes most evident, and please, like, catch this, right? The reign of Christ becomes most evident in the world when His people, the church, submit to His teachings. When we love enemies and we give to those who are in need, and we do that because our confession that Jesus is King provokes us, we then, through that action, are making the reign of Christ tangible and evident. And when we do not submit to his teaching as people, then we do not magnify and manifest his reign in the world, and our proclamation of his reign and lordship becomes empty rhetoric. I just want to catch that again. When we aren't actively participating in the reign of Christ through our own decision to submit to his teaching as we live our everyday lives, our proclamations and Facebook posts that God is with us, that God is reigning, becomes empty rhetoric. But when we submit to his reign, we are saying that we believe we've seen a different power at work. We've seen a different power at work within us, 
between us, among us, in everyday life. We're saying that we believe death no longer has the final word. Death no longer has power over us. We're saying that we believe that fear no longer has power over us. We're saying that we will not be driven by our feelings of scarcity, of not having enough in the world. We're saying that in the risen Jesus, God has unleashed a love so powerful that we will never be the same and neither will the world, even though right now it feels that way. Those of us who have confessed that Jesus is the risen King and share in God's life have committed, say with me really, committed, have committed to a new understanding of power. It's the power of God's Spirit who lives within His people because Jesus is risen and is the ascended King. It's it's the power of God's Spirit within His people manifesting the reign of Christ through tangible acts of love, through joy, through peace, through kindness, rather than fear, anxiety, violence, and just outright meanness. The presence of God's Spirit that reminds us that we belong to the future day of God's glory, and it begins now. We belong to a different day, a different reign, a different power, a different view of life and what it means to be truly human to be the kind of human God intended that we see in the humanity of Jesus, right? And that we belong to a different movement, a movement that's able to subvert, subsist, and stand beneath or against all other movements that would promote things like death and violence and anxiety and scarcity and fear. But here's the problem that I find. Why is it that we sometimes feel the same? Why is it that we sometimes feel the same even after Easter has happened? Like, we feel as though almost it didn't. Like, why are so many of us still fearful, anxious, supportive of violence, sometimes just plain mean? Maybe it's because that contradiction we talked about last week really is at work in the world, and it's a contradiction to the power of the Easter confession. And that's real, I think. Maybe it's a contradiction that many of us give a lot of our time to. Hear me out. It's the contradiction that we give a lot of our time to in in the daily news or social media or heavy conversations. And and here's what I'm, I'm coming to believe every day, that Easter reveals all of this and calls all these things what they are and awakens us from our empathy. Uh, from our apathy, Easter awakens us to the possibilities that God has done a new thing. Easter sheds light on these contradictions of, of violence and meanness and anxiety and scarcity. The empty tomb sheds light on that and calls it what it is. Here's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, sort of a sidebar. Your version, um, we've, we've sent that out in the email uh, the version link, I think, is on the Vimeo as well. So you can check that. But if not, Ephesians 5, verse 13. This is what Paul said. He said, everything exposed by the revelation, light is made, light is made visible. Everything exposed by the revelation, light, is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore, it is said, awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead 
and Christ will shine on you. So here's the thought on Eastertide. Maybe some of us feel the same because we haven't been, we haven't waken up to Easter like we celebrated it and it was different this year because we didn't get to necessarily, not all of us dressed in our pretty clothes, though I did love seeing the pictures of people uh, flowering the cross in your pretty clothes. Um, but not all of us did that. So, but every year that comes about, we're not always awakened to Easter. And so everything still feels the same. We haven't wakened. We're not awake. We like are, are literally where we're functioning in the world, but we're not at our hearts and our souls are not awake. And I, I just want to say, let's wake up. Like, wake up. Jesus was broken so we can be whole. Jesus was reviled so we can be redeemed. uh, redeemed. Jesus was rejected so we could be reconciled, brought back to God. Jesus took on death so we could actually take on life. Jesus accepted the hatred, even our hatred, so we could know God's love. Jesus was forsaken in some mysterious way so we would never be. We have all been extended the invitation of welcome into the life of God, the one who knows us best and loves us most. I think Easter is an opportunity, and I think Easter tide is a season of opportunity to be awakened from our tendencies, to be lulled back to sleep by the lullabies of false hope and false faith freedom that in the end lead us away from the power we confess is at work in the world and in us by the risen King Jesus. That was a lot, wasn't it? I'll say that again. Easter awakens us from our tendency to be lulled asleep by the lullabies of false hope, of false freedoms that in the end lead us away from the power that's at work in the world that we confess we believe in. The false hopes that somehow a bigger bank account will get it done. A better family or different family will get it done or that a a new person in my life will get it done or that a better leader will get it done. uh, And these things matter. These things matter. They do. They impact our lives in tangible ways. But the Christian tradition says that the resurrection matters too. And that the resurrection affects our life in tangible ways. That the power of God made available to us through the risen King Jesus matters. And that it too can affect our lives in tangible ways. The problem, I think, sometimes for me and maybe for you is we're just lulled asleep. No longer awakened to the reality of Easter. Which is why I think Paul wrote this to Romans, like to the Roman Christians, because this isn't new. We're not the only ones, right? Listen to what he said to the Roman church. Romans 13, verse 11. To live like this is all the more urgent, he says. Romans 13, verse 11. To live like this is all the more urgent, for time is running out, and you know it is a strategic hour in human history. It is time for us to wake up, Paul says. For our full salvation is nearer now than we, when we first believed. Night's darkness is dissolving away. Listen, though, he doesn't say it's gone away. So I want you to check that. So Romans 13, 12, he doesn't say night's darkness has gone away. This isn't some sort of Pollyanna, Pollyanna-like romanticized version of Christianity, right? Like he's saying the darkness is there, but he's saying that it is dissolving away as a new day of destiny dawns. 
So we must once and for all strip away, look at that language, strip away what is done in the shadows of darkness, removing it like filthy clothes. <laughs> uh, uh, I guess our awakeness is dependent upon our nakedness, right? How we make ourselves vulnerable to the love of God. He goes on to say, and once and for all, we clothe ourselves with the radiance of light as our weapon. Verse 13, we must live honorably, surrounded by the light of this new day, not in the darkness of drunkenness and debauchery, not in promiscuity and sensuality, not being argumentative <laughs> or jealous of others. Instead, fully immerse yourselves into the Lord Jesus, the God's chosen king and don't waste he says even a moment's thought on your former identity to awaken its selfish desires that's strong john like paul is saying wake up the darkness is dissolving the new day has dawned because resurrection has happened strip off the lullabies of false hope and false freedom strip off all that stuff and put on the clothes of the risen christ and fully immerse yourself in Jesus Christ as Lord, God's chosen King. And don't even wait, waste a moment in giving thought to the former identity, the world that's passing away, the darkness that's dissolving, the false hopes and freedoms, the scarcity, the fear, the anxiety, the violence, and lean in. So how do we stay awake? I find it easier to stay awake when I slow down and think about where it is I'm fixing my eyes. And I ask this question. What am I really looking for? That's the question. What am I really looking for? Now see, here's the thing. I think the gift of social distancing and the shelter in place is that it's required that we slow down in some ways. Now in some ways I feel like I'm working harder and more and longer than I, than I ever have. But I, but I have slowed down. I have new prayer rhythms on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday that I didn't have before with some of you. I have found that it's easier to stay awake when I slow down and ask the question, what am I really looking for? So here's the question, beloved. What are you really looking for? Like, what are you really looking for that you think, that I think, can bring hope, peace, wholeness, happiness? Security, freedom, purpose, love. Think about all those categories. What is it that we're really looking for? Like if someone were to journal the activities of our day, what would our actions proclaim we are looking for? What would our day-to-day -day activities say about our eyes and where they're focused? And see, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking too often we just settle. We settle to it. It's just easier. We know it. It's more familiar to us. It's there right in front of us. We're already sort of wired for that, looking for security and happiness and purpose and love and peace and other things. This week I encountered one of the writings of St. Um, I guess, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Macarius maybe? the great, St. Macarius the Great. Uh, he's an Egyptian Coptic Christian from the 4th century. Uh, the Egyptian Coptic Christians 
are uh, a part of what we believe in history, the churches that Mark the Evangelist uh, planted. So, so this, 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 this guy named St. Macarius the Great, this is what he said, listen. He said, it's, it is not right for the bridegroom, he's talking about Jesus, who came for thy sake to suffer and be crucified, who the bride, he's talking about us in the church, for whose sake the bridegroom came, idles along and wanders. I repeat that again. It is not right for the bridegroom, Jesus, who came for your sake and my sake to suffer and be crucified, who the bride, us, for whose sake the bridegroom came, idles along and wanders. In other words, he's saying it's not right to settle. Because when we settle, we are lulled to sleep. And so I shared this with a call I had uh, with, with Mike McGee, a member of our church family. I shared this with him, and he just like dropped um, a mic bomb on this thing. You don't know him, the man, the brother, the brother speaks truth. Uh, he said this, he said, man, he said, all too often we meander in the maze of mediocrity. Right? That was good. I said, that'll preach. I'm quoting you. All too often we meander in the maze of mediocrity. In other words, we just settle. And here's the thing, bro, and sis, and Matthew McConaughey. Easter reminds us that humanity has always been looking for something. And it's, and it's clever how it's highlighted in the Gospels. So look at John, for example. I find this interesting. In the Gospel of John, the first words spoken by Jesus, the first words that are recorded by Jesus is spoken in John is this, what are you looking for? John 1.38, that's what he says. The first words we hear him say in John's unfolding of the gospel is, what are you looking for? But check this out. In the same gospel of John, the first words spoken by Jesus after the resurrection, chapter 20, verse 15, who is it that you are looking for? It's almost as if John is winking at us saying, that's the question to ask now. What are you looking for? Who are you looking for? We're all looking for something. It's in the looking for something that we're lulled away by other forms of love and power that captures our attention to what the scripture calls the natural realm, right? Where other forms of love and power are at work. That's the natural realm. These are the forms of power that actually lead to fear, anxiety, violence, and meanness. Yet Easter reminds us to look away. And to stop fixing our eyes there and remember something very specific about the Easter story. And here's where I want to start closing, right? The joy of Jesus. Remember the joy of Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Now, I'm, le I'm le using the, uh, the Passion Translation because I love the poetry of this translation. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's completion. His example is this. Because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. Dude, it is hard for me to sit down and talk about this. All right, like I'm, I'm, I'm fidgety, so I apologize. But I feel like I need to stand. But he, listen to it again. 
The joy that was set before Jesus. Who is Jesus' joy that was set before him, that provoked him, that persuaded him, that kept him in the journey of taking on the cross and shame? What was the joy? Who was the joy? You were his joy. We were his joy. We are his joy. When Jesus was going to the cross, what kept him moving to the cross is that he thought of you, and he thought of me. He thought of us. We were the joy, the joy that we would be his. Our freedom is his joy. Our forgiveness is his joy. Our hope is his joy. Our love is his joy. Our healing is his joy. Our wholeness is his joy. Our citizenship in his kingdom is his joy. Our presence is his joy. You, no matter what you feel, no matter where you feel like you've been, no matter what the world says, you are Jesus's joy. He endured Holy Week and refused to settle for anything less than joy. And we are that joy. He wouldn't settle until the work of making right what had been made wrong in our world had, had begun, like it had begun. Like he, he wanted to bring the broken world to God so that you and I could bring our broken things to God. Broken promises, our broken hearts, our broken dreams, our broken hopes, our broken lives. We can bring all the brokenness to him always. And not just once, but now, tomorrow, many times, over and over. We can bring these things to the God who gave his life, who loves us most and knows us best and finds joy in our presence. This is why he wouldn't settle until he had accomplished our salvation and made a way for us to experience the presence of God now and forever Jesus would not settle until God was brought back to his people and his people brought back to God. Why should we ever settle? Why settle for anything less than Jesus? He is our joy. There's no greater joy found than to be looking for his reign and presence in our lives, which is why the writer of Hebrews goes on. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, listen to it. It says, so consider carefully all the hostility Jesus endured from sinful people, then you won't become worn down and cave in under life's pressures. After all, you've not reached the point of sweating blood and your opposition to sin. In other words, I mean, we may have it bad, but we haven't sweat drops of blood. So the writer's saying, and I think what the writer's trying to do is the writer of Hebrews is trying to say, if you will keep your mind and your eyes attentive to the journey of Jesus, to the cross, into resurrection and ascension, you will find joy. So, back to our question. We asked earlier, I said, what are you looking for? That's the question I'm posing in the message. So, more specifically, are you looking for the reign of Christ? the evident love and peace and joy of Christ in your life? And those, are you making quiet moments possible so that you can, so you can see his joy, so you can see the reign of Christ? Are you, are you making conversations with others possible or are you just weary? And I get being weary, but are you making it possible to be with your brothers and sisters in this church in other ways? Like Christians you actually share a common life with here. We know we have brothers and sisters everywhere, but, but in our local body, are you making it possible to see the reign of Christ at work? I'll tell you, when I had a, a call with Mike on the phone or on Zoom, Mike and I did a FaceTime. No, we did FaceTime. 
In my conversation with Mike, I saw the reign of Christ at work. And that's what I mean. Like we talked about our faith. We talked about life as dads and husbands who are Christians. We talked about how we're seeing God work. That's life-giving stuff. I could say to you, I sell the rate of Christ at work. Just in that moment, I'm not talking about the devotionals I have with my son or the prayer calls I get to have with people on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday or all those other, like other places, like in the city where I see the church responding. Like I'm seeing, I'm seeing the reign of Christ at work. I, and I'm seeing it because I'm making myself available to see it. Are you making yourself available to see it? Because here's what Hebrews closes up, this chapter. Here's what the writer says. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Since we are receiving our rights to an unshakable kingdom, we should be extremely thankful and offer God the purest worship that delights his heart as we lay down our lives in absolute surrender, filled with awe, for God is a holy, devouring fire. Listen to that verse again, just that one little section. Since we are receiving, actively receiving, not received, receiving our rights to an unshakable kingdom, we should be extremely thankful. The rights that matter most, that you hear society right now wailing over, like, literally arguing and fighting and being mean over. Stay with me. Those rights that matter. This scripture is saying the rights that matter most, that you are actually receiving, the, the eternal rights that God has given you in the resurrection of Christ, those rights that cannot be taken away, that are a part of an unshakable kingdom those kind of rights, rights to be able to come to God, to bring your brokenness to God, to meet God anywhere, anytime, any place. That should provoke something in us to lead us into gratefulness, into a life of worship, into a different way of understanding the world, a new understanding of power, a new understanding of love, joy, peace, and kindness rather than fear, anxiety, violence, and meanness. It should lead us into a different understanding of what our life means in society because we live for a different day and a different reign and a different power and have a different view of what it means to be truly human. That kind of gift of grace that is given to us by Christ in the resurrection, that is worth living for. and That could be our joy. Brother and sister, what are you looking for? Fix your eyes on Jesus. How do we do it practically? Open the scripture. Know the story first. You don't know what you're looking for until you know the story. Second, engage in conversation with brothers and sisters and ask, how's your faith in this? Just ask the question. Ask the question we're asking you. The two questions we're asking you, I think, can prompt all of us this week to look for Jesus at work in our lives and find that we are his joy and that we can find joy. How are you seeing Christ's reign at work in your life? And where do you need to see Christ's reign at work in your life? And do not settle for anything less. Do not settle for anything less than to experience the reign of Christ. That's it. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.